welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. We pray for us as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, so my my wife and, and my son, we recently moved into our new house in Springfield. Now it's been almost six months, but it was back in January that we... We started moving in there, and we noticed something about the house when we moved in. Uh, we really liked to garden, and so we noticed that there was an issue with some of the foliage, that there, was, there were no flowers out front by the entrance. And what a shame, because the entrance to our house faces where the sun, there's the most sun all day long. It seemed like a shame to waste all that good sunlight. So we got to work pretty quickly planting flowers once spring arrived. And there was, a, there was only one problem with the area in front of our house, since they had covered it with rocks to keep the weeds from growing. And so the rocks were pretty deep, and we didn't know what was down below the soil. So we started digging, and, and a friend had given us some really nice plants. She has an amazing flower garden, so she gave us some flowers to transplant. And so we started planting gifted flowers. We started planting different seeds. We started planting a few bulbs. And it didn't take long for the seeds that we had planted to germinate, but it wasn't too long until they all died. It was very sad. Little tiny little seedlings all died. We figured out what the problem was. The problem was that there was weed cloth an inch below the surface. Makes total sense. Weed cloth is really effective. It's effective at keeping the deep-seated weeds from growing up. It's also effective at keeping the flowers that grow deep roots from growing down. And these were poppies. They had deep roots. They didn't make it. So we learned from our mistakes. And this time, we dug a hole and pierced through the weed cloth so that these flowers could actually develop healthy roots. And so we planted some new flowers. And even though in the past few weeks, it's gotten to be almost 100 degrees several days... These flowers have not, they've just taken root. They've grown new flowers. They're these beautiful yellow, red, they almost look like little mini sunflowers. They're lovely. But the abundance and vibrancy of the flowers is a testament to the healthy roots beneath the soil. As Christians, when we're well-rooted and we are growing in God's grace, our lives become a testament to the glory of God So this morning we get to this passage in Ephesians. We'd been in a series in the Old Testament. We're going to be now jumping into the book of Ephesians. St. Paul reminds us about the grace that we're rooted in and the grace that we grow in. And this grace that we're rooted and grow in is what's going to become the praise of God's glory. As we enter this new sermon series, we're going to be looking at this epistle that St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. It was a letter written by him during his time in Roman imprisonment, about 60 to 62 CE. So think about 30 years after the time of Jesus. 
It was written to this church in Ephesus, which is on the western coast of Turkey uh, today near the Aegean Sea. And it was a place that Paul had been to in his third missionary journey. In the past, he had been there for uh, not consecutively, but he ministered there for about three years. And so he knew the church there. Possibly by this time, several of the people that he knew had gone away. But he was familiar with that place. And Ephesus was the provincial capital of the senatorial province of Asia um, in, in the Roman Empire. It was famous for one of the largest buildings in the world, the Temple of Artemis. So Ephesus was this place of power, a place of powerful mythology. It's a place with a lot of powerful people and wealth that passes through it. So in some ways, it's not unlike the D.C. area with its proximity to power, its transience, its monoliths to national mythologies, its heroes. And we're going to be preaching on this book over the next several weeks throughout the rest of the summer. And we're going to be using it together in our weekly Compline service on Zoom on Wednesday nights. So we did that last week. We read it as Electio Divina together. And, and that way God started you know, bringing things to our hearts through that. Chapter 1 begins with Paul's greeting. Paul writing to the, the church at Ephesus with a wish for grace and peace to be upon them. Following those verses is a really long benediction. We don't have a lot of benedictions in our culture, but you can still find them if you look at uh, Jewish liturgies. Um, and this benediction, before I get there, this benediction, it starts in chapter 3, and it goes all the way to what Ashley hopefully read for us this morning, all the way to 14. It is one really long sentence in Greek. It's a long, complicated sentence. And so Paul is really uh, framing this letter for us with one long benediction about how the Trinity brings us new life. And so this letter is a very Trinitarian letter. Uh, all things are working together for God's glory. This is what salvation accomplishes. And, and it also shares with us how we have a hope and a role in that glory. It teaches us that as, that as those who rest in Christ, we're grounded in blessing and we grow in praise. So we begin with the benediction. And again, in the Jewish liturgy, uh, there are still these benedictions. They happen all the time. And, and you can hear the, the praise in, in Hebrew, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech uh, HaOlam, blessed are you, O Lord God, King of Eternity. That's just a common, you know, prayer that's thrown out, and it reframes the next thing that's going to be prayed for. So Saint Paul's benediction begins the epistle, and it reframes whatever is going to come next in light of God's praiseworthiness. God is praiseworthy. So Saint Paul begins with a long benediction, and he shows why God's worthy of praise. The reason why is that. God has bestowed on those who rest in Jesus every spiritual blessing that exists in the realm where God dwells. That's the foundation for whatever is going to come throughout this letter. And there's going to be a lot of different things Paul's going to talk about in this letter. But that's the foundation. So before God created the earth, he chose us in his love. It's similar if you read the Old Testament to the language in the Old Testament about God choosing a people. Not because of their outward appearance, not because of their strength, not because of their virtue. Heaven knows they weren't. But out of his love, 
God chose them to shape and fashion a people who would display his glory in their praise. Rooting ourselves in the work of God means resting in what God has accomplished for us. We often use the words believing in Jesus, and that's not incorrect. It is correct to believe in Jesus. But I find the idea of believing in something pretty cognitive. And so sometimes it's hard for me to be more holistic with my thinking about believing in something. So I like this idea of resting in something. It engages the entire person. You know, to say that I rest secure in something feels like more than just believing in something. And that's the idea. It's why we use those words after the absolution in the liturgy. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to so trust him completely that all of our restless places in our souls and in our bodies are settled as we enter and entrust to him all those things that we carry that are weighty and that are weighing upon us. St. Paul gives us in verses three through six in this benediction, a rationale for rest. God chose us in Christ before we had done anything worthy of being chosen. And God had not been counting our merits, but like the liturgy says, he was pardoning our offenses. The text isn't meant to be a theological treatise about election or being chosen. So some might be thinking, well, before ordained some, does that mean that ergo he, he doesn't do the same to others? Or, or worse, does he predestine some to damnation? And I don't believe that Paul is arguing either of those views here or anywhere else. I think instead what Paul is describing is the purpose of God's election here, not the nature of it. Those who believe in Christ have been chosen before the foundation of the world. And they've been chosen to, be, to become holy and to be blameless before God in love and to be a monument of the transformational work of God's grace. It's a work that is sourced in God's love and it results in this deep abiding love for one another, which is gonna be one of the major themes in the book of, Eph- of Ephesians, this deep abiding love for one another. It stems from the deep abiding love of God. The idea of God taking ordinary people And making them monuments of his glory, I think is implied in our church's vision. The church's vision in Corpus Christi is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. We're common people, first and foremost, who are learning how to rest in the love of God. And that rest in God's grace is what builds those strong roots that we need for growth into the praise of God's glory. My days are often punctuated with changing dirty diapers, making meals, mowing the lawn, weeding, fixing things around the house, attempting to exercise, uh, trying to navigate what it means in my stage of life to be faithful to the Lord, going to playgrounds, all these common things, right? There's nothing extravagant about us that God were obligated to choose us somehow. We're pretty common people. He didn't choose us because of what we could do for him. That's really important. God doesn't care if you're an influencer. He doesn't even care if you have social media or not. Right? That's up to your own leading from the Holy Spirit on whether or not you have it. But God's not concerned with whether or not you're an influencer. God took pleasure in adopting all kinds of common people as his children through Jesus Christ. 
Because it's about his glory, not ours. And he did that in verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace. So that he, that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. To become an individual and a community that puts God's glory on display, we have to develop strong roots in God's grace. And we have to rest into what he has done for us. In a sense, St. Paul's benediction calls us to become a community of benediction, of blessing, in which praising God's character uh, it characterizes our speech because it's the thing that permeates our hearts. Rooting ourselves in his grace in the past prepares us to live out his grace right now. In verses 7 through 10, St. Paul explains how God's grace is currently at work in you and I. In Jesus, the beloved, freedom has been purchased and we have been redeemed. There's part of that that is a slavery metaphor. We've been redeemed from all the things that hold us back from being who we are in Christ. It wasn't an accident. It says that God lavishes the riches of his grace on us with wisdom and insight. It wasn't an accident. In God's wisdom, this had been pre-planned. Before the foundation of the world, in the unsearchable wisdom of God, he foreordained the church and this community even to put on display the riches of his glory and his grace. We are, uh, as one church father said, a people fully alive, uh, humans fully alive. There's an egalitarian nature to the body of Christ uh, that is scandalous to the ancient world. What I mean by that is that all people could come to God the exact same way. There weren't classes in their approach to God. People of different ethnicities, cultures and languages worship together in the same body as equals. Men and women worship together in the same body as equals. Slaves and free worship together as equals. Even slave and their master were worshiping in the same body as equals. People who were wealthy and poor worshiped together as equals. And that was all rooted in God's grace and the freedom that was procured for us in God's son and in his work on the cross for us. Only in this community were people uh, not even allowed to show partiality. That's very countercultural. I remember a friend who's a colonel in the Air Force, and he had mentioned to me there are a lot of military families that like to come to a church off base. And the reason for that is this is the place where the colonel can just be Bob or Jim uh, or Stacy. They don't have to worry about pulling rank uh, in this community. The church is still then a countercultural uh, space in upsetting social constructs of hierarchy. And that's rooted in God's love and his grace. God's grace has purchased our freedom. In the body of Christ, there's freedom to become who God is fashioning us into. I was thinking about debt. I'm not going to have anybody raise hands about whether or not you've had debt. I imagine it's 99 to 100% of the room. But thinking about debt and real debt, I mean, you look at the number and you go, how in the world am I going to pay this off in a lifetime? You feel held captive by this debt. What happens is you want to live your life and you feel like you can't. You have to make life choices around the debt. You have to figure out what kind of job you're going to have so that you can make enough to make minimum payments. Where are you going to live so that your rent or your mortgage is low enough that you can make payments? 
If you're not married yet, are you going to uh, expect that your spouse take on that debt with you? Can you find somebody and get married and have somebody be willing to take on the debt that you have? It is constraining and it feels, um, it, it feels like you are captivated by this thing. And the weight of our sin has kept us from being humans fully alive. It is like a debt, a weight on us that we can't shake. But in Christ, that debt was paid. And now we're under no obligation for those who want, to, who want to call us back into that place of debt. We no longer have to say things like, you know, I just can't help but do this thing that's sinful. Because that's just who I am. It's the way I am. We don't have to do that. Being in Christ means that our sin no longer gets to define who we are. And I know that sometimes it takes time to discover those depths of how deep sin runs and has touched our lives And it takes time and it takes counseling and it takes confession. It takes a lot of prayer to work through some of those places. And the good news, though, is that our present reality is our identity in the beloved. And so there is a real possibility for us of being more than just our sins. It is actual. We just have to live into it by God's grace. We're humans fully alive. And when we live more fully into God's grace... We become uh, more, we experience that life more fully. God's grace is what we're rooted in. And it's what we grow in. And then it's ultimately to the end that we display it around us. Rooting ourselves in God's grace in the past prepares us to live out God's grace right now. And in verses 11 through 14 then, living out God's grace right now anticipates the way in which God's glory is going to be known in us. And it's about not our influence or prestige. It's about the transformation of individuals, households, and communities by the grace of God. Our salvation, remember what it began. It began in the love of God. And when growing in the love of God continues to be that foundation of all that we do, we put God's glory on display for others. We also live in hope that our promised inheritance will eventually be revealed. And the down payment for that hope is the indwelling Holy Spirit that you and I have in Christ. And I know that in our church and in any church, um, it can be really easy for us to display an image to others of put togetherness. But I want to suggest that having an image of put togetherness can potentially shine the light on our own glory rather than displaying God's glory and his grace. God's grace is an invitation for you and I to be undone around each other. To be in vulnerability with one another. So the benediction teaches that God's love is put on display not by our merits, but by his transforming grace. That's at work in the hearts of vulnerable and weak people who are resting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. As St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians last week, Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so when we're honest with ourselves and with others, then God begins to transform those spaces in our lives where sin has broken things, where sin has destroyed relationships, where it's put up walls with other people. And that's when we see God's glory put on display. I remember about the process of picking the name Corpus Christi. You know, we've only, been, we've only had that name for about a month and a half 
Uh, and in the process of finding that name, I had originally been worried about what kind of images are people going to think about when they think of our name. And I, after talking with several people, what I realized is that the name of a church is really secondary to the people who you know in it. I was thinking back to different churches I've been a part of in my life. And the thing I remember more than the name is the interactions I've had, the people that I got to know, the ways that I grew there. So even with Corpus Christi Anglican Church, I think a lot about what images people are going to have when they come and they visit and become a part of this church. The images that people have are you and me, and that's what they're going to remember. Common people who are transformed by God's grace. So it's important for us to begin as common people. That's where we start. Because that's a commitment to root ourselves and our unworthiness in the good things that God's done for us and planned beforehand to do for us that we didn't deserve. It's where we find rest. It's important to engage in common prayer as we find in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples were doing together for growth together as a community and for our individual growth to the end of uncommon transformation. When God's people and are transformed by God's grace, it puts on display God's glory. And it's the glory of God that I want people to see in me and in you when we gather together and even when we're scattered as a church. I want them to see God's grace at work in our lives. So, when we read this passage, when we think about Paul's letter, when we think about the week to come. Let's read ourselves in the love of God as we grow in his grace and as we become a testament to his glory. Let me pray for us. Gracious and holy Father, please give us intellect to understand you, reason to discern you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, a spirit to know you, a heart to meditate upon you, ears to hear you, eyes to see you, a tongue to proclaim you, a way of life pleasing to you, patience to wait for you and perseverance to look for you. Grant us a perfect end, your holy presence, a blessed resurrection and everlasting life. Amen.